You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. In this episode, Dr. Nader answers questions from the next generation during a live stream on June 17, 2023, hosted by Enlightened Leadership International, ELI, a regenerative leadership community. The meeting focused on the upcoming 10,000 for World Peace event, hosted this December, 2023. Dr. Nader explains that this is not just a gathering of like-minded individuals, it is a bold and ambitious experiment. Hello and welcome everyone to this special next-gen global webinar with Dr. Tony Nader, MD, PhD, MARR. This event is organized by ELI, Enlightened Leadership International, which is a network focused on regenerative leadership and sustainability. We had over 1,250 next generations signed up for the two sessions today. We are very excited to be here and to have this time with Dr. Nader and our other amazing panelists, Adrian Schoenfield and Ken Kavanaugh. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Shrita Jones, and I'd like to invite my co-host, Karen Kudir, to welcome and introduce Dr. Nader. Thank you, Shrita. It's my great pleasure to introduce Dr. Nader, who is a medical doctor, neuroscientist, expert in consciousness, and the head of the Global Transcendental Meditation Organization. He's also a best-selling author of One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness, which has been translated into many languages, and whose training includes internal medicine, psychiatry, and neurology. Dr. Nader trained at Harvard University and Massachusetts Institute of Technology, where he earned a PhD in neuroscience, and his unique perspective and expertise in the area of consciousness and human development is recognized by leaders and experts worldwide. Dr. Nader has had conversations with some of the greatest thinkers, scientists, leaders, and medical doctors in the world today, including masterclass teacher and best-selling author on leadership, Daniel H. Pink, Rupert Spira, and Wired Magazine founder, Kevin Kelly. Dr. Nader has discussed his expertise at academic institutions such as Harvard Business School on the neuroscience of transcendence, Stanford University, where he gave talks in a series entitled Hacking Consciousness, and was the keynote speaker for a conference at the House of Commons, British Parliament, where his unique expertise in the knowledge of East and West has also been recognized by the National Health Service. In addition, Dr. Nader has received many humanitarian awards for his outstanding contribution to human development, environment, education, and health. Thank you, Karen and Trita. It's wonderful to be with everyone. It's a joy to be considering some important aspects of our world today and how we can contribute to make things better for everyone. I would summarize the main focus of our discussions or our being together today in three general aspects. One is a group of 10,000 people that we want to uh, create that is planned uh, for the end of the year, beginning next year. We'll give you the dates and specificities. 
and to talk about the responsibility and the possibility of the young or next generation to contribute to the world and also to help in organizing this 10,000 group and to uh, highlight and bring back to our awareness and our thinking and our planning an organization that had very wonderful beginnings, the Enlightened Leadership International, ELI, and that we want to encourage you to participate in so that together as next leaders, or even many of you present leaders, I'm sure, in different aspects of companies, uh, societies, clubs, uh, sororities, uh, fraternities, or whatever organizations, or even on national and international levels, that you would really be understanding the fundamentals of what constitutes progress and growth and what helps to create progress and growth and what helps to make life better for everyone so that life works for everyone no matter what the background is what one's basic training understanding function profession whatever it is we have a human nervous system and the human nervous system has the ability to transcend and that is enough to ensure and assure us that one can live a life that is happy and harmonious. So on this, therefore, meeting, we will uh, take questions from you, of course. But first, let me summarize a few points, which I know some of those who are joining us are not maybe completely familiar with, uh, with those points. And also some of us who have been very familiar with Many of these points might enjoy just to a little bit recollect and uh, remind ourselves of the history of our programs and how they have been developed and their importance. It is really all based on an understanding of life, a profound understanding of life and living and existence and meaning of existence and meaning of life from a perspective that takes consciousness as primary. We live in physical universe, what we call physical universe with physical material aspects. And we have our minds, our intellect, our thinking ability, our feelings, our subjective experiences which are very personal and somehow cannot be actually physically evaluated, physically touched. We can evaluate their effects if somebody is in love or somebody is dreaming or somebody is happy or upset, uh, or even if somebody is thinking certain thoughts, it is possible nowadays to detect in the brain and the nervous system what kind of electromagnetic activities are there or what changes are there. And we can detect what changes are there in the physiology when one is having certain kinds of feelings of, or even thoughts. So we can detect the thoughts through their effects on the physiology, 
But these are aspects that are so personal, so, so intimate, so subjective, that we call them uh, something that is not material, something that is not physical. And they are indeed colors of consciousness, colors of our awareness. Because without awareness, we cannot experience love, we cannot experience happiness, we cannot experience well-being, we cannot have knowledge, we cannot experience or know anything. So consciousness is the reality that allows us to fathom our lives, fathom the universe, find rules and laws of the universe, understand our presence in the universe. So we have these two aspects. We have what we call the material aspect, which is on the surface level. And we have the non-material consciousness aspect. Scientists have been trying to find, and philosophers also throughout the ages, what's the relationship between mind and matter, mind and physiology, intelligence and physiological functioning, or or material activities of biochemistry and biology and all of these things that we can detect in an instruments and check them out and know what they are, be it electrical or chemical or biological changes. And so far, it has been understood very deeply that these two are very intimately related. In fact, they are a continuum. So that much we know. Which means when you have a thought, you have changes in your body, in your nervous system. For every thought, there is some electrical, some chemical change in the physiology. And there are corresponding affects, which means feelings, and corresponding also behaviors that can go also with the thoughts and with the feelings and with the physiology. So we know that mind and body are very intimately connected. In fact, most thinkers, philosophers, and scientists think they are really an extension one of the other or an appearance one of the other. Now, the question is, which is primary? Is it the physical that is primary and is creating the intellect, the mind, consciousness? Or is it possible to imagine that consciousness is actually the primary value? It's a long story that has been discussed throughout history. And our understanding from our experience, from the knowledge that we have gathered, from the science that we have understood about the nature of the universe and how it is constructed, and this is not the time to go into it, but just to give the conclusion. The conclusion is that consciousness is primary. And that is the only solution that actually resolves main problems on social level, on personal level, on intellectual level, on understanding of the relation between individual life and its meaning and its purpose and its growth. So there are all of these values that come together to give the best explanation for many, many factors and many, many questions in life, even though at the beginning it sounds outlandish, 
which means how is it possible that consciousness is primary and that actually consciousness leads to the physical appearance of what we call our body, our physiology and the universe. This has been detailed and discussed in many podcasts that uh, I have had a chance to do and with other scientists and philosophers and also in the book One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness that I'm sure many of you have been familiar with. But this is not the topic of our discussion today. The topic of our discussion today is on the basis of this paradigm that consciousness is primary, we are asking ourselves a question of great importance. What can we do to make life work for everyone? What can we do to fulfill the meaning of life, the meaning of our existence on this planet Earth, why we are here, where we're going, and what we can do about it? What can we do for helping the environment? What can we do for reducing tension and conflict in societies everywhere, divisions? What can we do to reduce the risks of war and harm and problems? If we want to do things only on the material level, on the surface level of the physical level, we end up with problems and difficulties that are not really resolvable on that surface level. It is being known and understood uh, after the First World War, after the Second World War, in the, in the family of nations coming together, the United Nations, the UNESCO, and all of that, that wars and conflicts are actually fought in the mind of humans. That first we think about something and we think there is no other solution. And then we go out and fight and have problems and create damage and loss of property, loss of creativity, loss of lives, and take ourselves back into situations where nobody actually ends up winning, even though there is always somebody who claims to have won something. But ultimately, all wars and conflicts are a loss to everybody. And that is why after First World War, Second World War, etc., all the wise people came together to say, it's the end, it's finished. Where is the solution? The solution is in the mind of humans, in our consciousness, in our awareness. And that has been understood to be on the surface level of consciousness, on the surface level of awareness, which means we come together, we make compromise, we create rules and laws, and we decide all together on the conscious level, on the surface level of awareness, that we don't want to fight anymore. We don't want to battle each other anymore. And we want to guide humanity to a much more peaceful, harmonious, uh, tender, uh, delicate kind of living with sensitivity and uh, human rights and support of each other and supporting also the environment and our life so that life grows in a harmonious way for all future generations. However, what we see is that this doesn't lead to true peace and harmony. And the reason is that it is not on the surface level of awareness, on the surface level of thinking, that the solution exists. 
The solution is in the awareness and the ability to be aware and the ability to be conscious on a broader level, in a broader perspective. If we are conscious only of our own limited perspectives, our limited uh, understanding, our limited needs and desires, such as I want to achieve this right now, no matter what it costs to me and to others in the future, and I don't care about the other aspects, then we have a limited understanding of our life and its scope. And that is what happens usually when one is under fear or stress or insecurity. When one is under insecurity, it's the deep instincts within us that are awakened, the instinct of fight or run away. And these instincts kind of shunt away, and we have seen this scientifically, the, even the nourishment and the blood flow from the upper parts of the nervous system that are able to think holistically and harmoniously with a broad comprehension. So whenever we are under stress and strain, our consciousness narrows and becomes very, very limited in its ability to see perspectives and to see solutions. And this is true, we have found, not only for individual human beings, but also for the collection of human beings. When a collection, a group of human beings are under stress or strain, they behave in ways that are limited, that are, as we know, fight or flight response, and do not take into consideration broader possibilities, broader perspectives of future, of more qualities of life that are needed to be taken care of in order to survive for a longer time and a more peaceful time and a more healthy time in our dear planet. So we take resources, we might misuse them, we might damage others because we think others are not part of ourselves, not part of our life, and let us now benefit from where we are, and then later on we can take care of all these different aspects. Uh, we will see what happens. And so this limited perspective is a reaction from insecurity, from fear, uh, from the desire to protect oneself. So it has in itself some explanation. It has some justification for the individual. But unfortunately, when the individual is acting on the basis of such stress and strain and fear, their consciousness is shadowed. And therefore, they cannot see in a broader way. And society also overall cannot see in a broader perspective. It cannot see uh, that there are solutions that are possible, that are not damaging, that are not always uh, you know, needing or requiring fighting and war and conflict, and guiding, therefore, the decision-making on a much more harmonious, holistic, and complete way to lead to better solutions that are life-supporting for the individual and for society. Now, this is theoretically, and many, many thinkers and philosophers have thought about this, have analyzed this, and have talked about it one way or the other. The problem has been that 
the solutions that were looked to be the real solutions are only on the level of intellectual analysis and agreements and coming together and trying to solve the problem on an intellectual level. But if the intellect is limited, if comprehension is narrow, and one is not able to think broadly and with wide perspective, then the solutions will always remain limited without broad perspective. Again, what we are offering is to transcend. Transcend means to go beyond all of these values to the source of all that there is. And most of those who are with us today, I'm sure have, are very familiar with the unified field of natural law, what we have been talking about, that ultimate reality actually is a field of pure consciousness, pure awareness, and that the entire intelligence and managing power of life and living comes from that unified field, which maintains itself in perfect balance and which manages the whole universe with perfect orderliness for every action. There is a reaction for every change. There is another change that balances it. And also the power of evolution and understanding how life evolves towards higher and higher unity and higher and higher ability to understand the true meaning of our existence as growing towards knowing ourselves, know thyself, and knowing ourselves to be not only a limited individual, but to know ourselves to be the source, course, and goal of everything, and know ourselves to be everyone also, because everyone is that pure consciousness. And that is where we reach what we call a state of higher consciousness and enlightenment. And on the path to that, of course, as side benefits, we have the removal of stress, the removal of strain, the removal of fear and insecurity, broadening our consciousness, broadening our awareness, and the ability to act and behave in a way that is most conducive to proper action that supports everything in creation, including not only humans, but all that there is in animal life and environment and the whole uh, level of existence, because then we are acting in a balanced way that uses the more complete intelligence of life. So the technique is very simple. You all know it. All those who are here are uh, practitioners of transcendental meditation that allows the mind to settle down, expand the awareness, feel deeply inside, and then see life improve in terms of health, in terms of behavior, in terms of intelligence. And we have seen that people who practice transcendental meditation have all these profound benefits and live their life more happily, more fulfilled, uh, with better behavior, and more balanced in their day-to-day -day living. But what we have also seen and discovered, and this is called the Maharishi effect, is when a small number of people practice this technique together in a society, the whole society improves in its behavior. This is what we call the effect on the collective consciousness of society, the collective awareness. And at the beginning, it was the 1% effect when the 
meditation started, Maharishi predicted that one small percentage, as little as 1% in a society meditates, then we have a result. And they found decrease in crime, decrease in conflict in those groups, in societies, villages, cities, which great improvements automatically just with 1% of the people practicing these techniques. So there is a technique of transcending, which is going to the self, going to the transcendental level, to pure consciousness. And then Maharishi has brought to light from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, from the yoga system, the more advanced techniques, the advanced techniques of what is called in the yoga system, samyama. Samyama is the coming together of three values. And these are dharana, dhyan, and samadhi. Dharana is generally translated as fixity, oneness, fixity on things. Dhyan is the movement towards higher state, towards deeper levels, deeper values. Dhyan is usually translated as meditation. So it's a kind of a moving of the mind in the right direction, getting the mind to move in the right direction. And then samadhi. Samadhi is the evenness of the mind, the evenness of the intellect, which means a settled, silent, peaceful, transcending. Transcending means going beyond all thoughts, going beyond all movement, going beyond all focusing, going beyond every feeling or anything, just going to that pure inner self where consciousness is experienced by itself on its own without any other aspect of itself. Now, these three values has, have baffled philosophers and thinkers throughout time. How is it possible to have fixity, which means it's like focusing? At the same time, there is movement, dhyan, and at the same time, there is transcendence, which is go beyond movement, go beyond time, go beyond fixity on anything. And yet, it is called a process which allows the mind, allows the awareness of the person who has been used to transcend, those who practice transcendental meditation, to actually enliven the unified field, enliven that field of pure consciousness with these three values coming together. And it is really Maharishi's genius and enlightened vision and understanding of the Veda that created a program called the Siddhi program. Siddhi in Sanskrit means perfection, to be perfect in one's thinking. And Patanjali, who is the Rishi that produced the Yoga Sutras, the yoga aphorisms, and described this system, has predicted that this will lead to peace and balance in society, and that in the vicinity of those who practice these techniques, there is reduction in conflict, reduction in, in uh, war, and peace actually happens in the vicinity of those who practice these technologies. So Maharishi brought this to light in the early 70s and then mid-70s mainly, and then taught it for some time and started to feel that it is enough to have square root of 1% of the population. It's not necessary to have 1% of the population practicing this technique. 
And they found the research found that if only a square root of 1% of a population, for example, if a population is 4 million people, then 1% is 400,000 and the square root of 1% is 200 people. So 200 people is enough to create the effect for 4 million people. For our world today with its population, if we calculate, we come to about eight, 9,000 people. And uh, we wanted to create that effect. Actually, before we create it, now we, we create the effect, this has been tried before. So when Marishi produced this uh, program, the scientists got into studying the effects of the numbers of people practicing this city program, this advanced city program, about uh, which one has many, many internal experiences that are very profound, learning how to act from this field using the Samyama program, but that Marishi made so simple and so easy to practice that anyone who's practicing transcendental meditation for a few months can actually learn this practice and transcend it and go to that value and experience those aspects of performance from the level of consciousness. And the scientists have started to examine this program. So there was a challenge at that time, so it was the late 70s, that why don't we do it for the whole world? And at that time, the square root of 1% was 7,000 7, people. And so Marishi said, let us bring 7,000 people. Let 7,000 people come together in one place and, and, pro and produce this effect and use their technology. Part of this technology, for those who don't know, is what is called yogic flying, which means a technology that allows, with a thought and using the Sanyama program, for the whole body to lift up in the air and to hop, you know, uh, if you are advanced, maybe you can fly, but for now it's like hopping, going up and then the body falls. And so he invited everyone to come in 1983 to uh, Iowa, where we had our university, Maharishi International University. And all those who were able were able to come and he called it a taste of utopia. I was delighted that I had a chance to go. So I did participate in this Taste of Utopia, which happens to be exactly 40 years ago. And it happened also during the holiday season of December and January, 1983-1984. And the scientists studied the effects and saw the profound changes that happened in the world due to this flying together of 7,000 people. And particularly those who were present there had amazing experiences. I remember myself that I really felt like we were living in a different universe. We were living in a reality where your thought becomes immediately fulfilled. Your desire becomes fulfilled. Your feelings are on a high elevated level of well-being, of harmony, and, and sense of fullness and wholeness and security, really what all the sages and great leaders of spirituality have wanted for every human being 
were able to be experienced. It was really a taste of what utopia can be, a taste of you know what Shangri-La can be or whatever that place which is ideal that can be lived. And so we all had all the older generation, if you like, because now we're talking to the next generation, had this amazing experience, this amazing time together. And so it so happens that today we feel the world also needs some push like that, some new revival in that sense. Now, research has been done throughout these years. In these 40 years, we haven't been sitting idle. We have gathered groups uh, on and off here and there, and scientists have studied these groups and studied their effects, and in a very precise way with statistical analysis, studying the significance, the importance, the chance occurrence, whether it can possibly have occurred by chance, and repeated it even not only as a retrospective studies, which mean looking back of what has happened and analyzing it, but even proclaiming and prospectively, meaning to the future, telling the scientists, come, now we're going to do this study, and we want you to analyze the before, during, and after effects of this program. And the results are absolutely clear and statistically, scientifically, extremely sound and important. And that is why we have the, the chance and the joy to have with us Dr. Ken Cavano, who is one of the great scientists who have researched this phenomenon. And we'll ask him in a couple of minutes to, to tell us the research and show us the effects and the benefits that can accrue and the actual scientific precision between the number of people practicing this technology and the results in society. So before we go that, I take two more minutes before asking Ken to, to explain or show us what, what the results, the recent results have been, because there are many, many studies that have been done over the years. The feeling is that today in the world, we have come back to a situation which is not so pleasant. And there is a reason for that. We don't want to go too much into the reason, but basically it is, we had many groups flying together throughout the world. And then when the pandemic came, it disrupted the groups because the people couldn't come and were not able to be in the same place at the same time. And that has led to disruption in world consciousness. This is our interpretation and we are confident about it. And then that led to the conflicts and the problems that are there felt today with insecurity on an international level, unfortunate suffering on many, many levels that happened, even though locally many places, there are many beautiful things happening where there are groups and where they continue to fly, but their numbers, are not sufficient to create the critical effect for the whole world. So we are now working to produce a permanent group because that is very important. And there are possibilities mainly in India, but also in Latin America, that these permanent groups will be created. And without waiting for the permanent groups to happen, the thought has come, why don't we give our next generation 
this beautiful experience that we have experienced ourselves and at the same time create the effect to soften the atmosphere and hopefully create peace in society and raise consciousness internationally. So we have decided to do 10,000 people because as a safety factor, actually eight to 9,000 will be probably enough for the world today, but as a safety factor with the present turbulence of world consciousness and, and fears and anxieties, we can have a better safety factor with 10,000 people. So we have a place for this 10,000 people. Uh, maybe many of you has heard it is going to be in Qatar, uh, but it's not 100% yet sure. And, and so even though it's maybe 90% sure, because we have had wonderful reception there, uh, we have good communication with them. They have done a wonderful World Cup where everybody came from every country and they enjoyed smooth ceremonies and activities and sports and all very smooth and soft. And so together with the invitation and the openness that we have there and potentially also the help that we can find so that we reduce the costs for those who come and make it as little as possible so the finances don't become an obstacle for people to come. So we plan to all go there. And beautifully also, we'd like to have the meditators, those who now meditate, be able to attend. And for that, we are going to have a special program for training meditators who decide to come to this course, uh, training them to get the cities. So even if you are not a city practitioner yet, but a meditator, we would like to know that you would like to come to this course and we will have a plan and a project to train you in the city program and make you become flyers, we call them, because you use the yogic flying, the levitation technique, which by the way, creates huge bubbles of bliss, which is more important even than the phenomenon of rising over the foam, because we put foams so that when one falls, one doesn't hurt oneself. And so it creates such incredible bliss and harmony and happiness and radiates that in society. We are also considering that even non-meditators who are stable and would like to be seriously practicing the program on a regular basis, that we can put them on a program that they learn TM and then get them quickly to learn the cities. Of course, we have to follow them up and make sure they are stable and they are able to follow the program, the advanced program, and then become siddhas and participate in this one in a lifetime kind of experience, but hopefully, which will also lead to a permanent group because the main issue is that we know from experience that when the group stops, then things fall back gradually into as they were before. And that is why we are emphasizing the importance of permanency. So the focus of this group is manifold. One is mainly to create a wave of peace and harmony, to soften world consciousness and create peaceful environment for people to resolve issues on a peaceful, harmonious, nourishing, evolutionary way. 
Two is to do the study and show the world that how it works and get the scientists to come and analyze it again and convince the wealthy people and the nations to adopt this program and create a permanent 10,000 group so that these issues don't come back ever. And therefore, this 10,000 uh, permanent group is the main focus ultimately that we want to maintain because we don't want to be firefighters where we, you know, quench the fire, but then it comes somewhere else. So that is the general understanding. And since it is part of the next generation, we have lived it before and we are looking forward to enjoy it again and spread it. But for the future, for the next 40 years and more, you are the ones who are going to have to carry that knowledge and spread it and ensure its permanency everywhere. And so I'll be inviting you to participate. I'll be inviting you to actually, for those who have time and have knowledge of our movement and are interested in helping, to actually be the organizers of this project. When this project happened, you know, I was, you know, very young myself, so I wasn't an organizer, but the organizers were in their 20s and 30s. And therefore, we call you next generation, but you are already mature and established and able to take this project and uh, run with it, actually. And we hope that we will be there to tell you what we have learned from before, what is needed. But we hope that we will just be enjoying with you where you will be running around organizing everything. All those who are interested are really welcome. So there are two things more to discuss. One is I'd like to ask Ken, Dr. Ken Cavanaugh to present, and he can only present briefly because the science of it is very, very detailed and very long. And I had a real chance and joy to do with him and Dr. Orm Johnson a podcast. So they are there that explain in great detail for those who like to go into greatest detail they are welcome to check it out and understand uh, the precision and see the science behind it, which is absolutely amazing and statistically significant. But for a taste of it, we'll ask Dr. Ken Cavanaugh to give us an overview of the latest research so that you see that what we are talking about is not just philosophy and wishful thinking, but actually absolutely proved evidence-based findings, proven evidence-based findings of the phenomenon and of the relationship of flying or doing the programs and then the result on society. And then the next thing we'll ask uh, Adrian to tell us about the general organization that is set up, that has been set up already in the past, but is now being revived about what Enlightened Leadership is and what Enlightened Leadership International is so that you can feel you have a group, a solid uh, structure, a solid organization that can be structured and in which you can plan all kinds of things, particularly she will tell us about sustainability and regenerative sustainability, which are important to move our world forward 
in a way that improves the situation, not just keeps it uh, and from deteriorating, but actually we can do things, we can have activities that will keep improving life on Earth and make it livable for a long, long time. So Ken, I made you wait a long time. Uh, please go ahead. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dr. Nader, for your kind introduction and for the invitation to uh, briefly share with you some results of the uh, research that's been published in the last six to nine months, two uh, major studies have been published in peer-reviewed journals. And the study, uh, first one I'd like to talk about, it looks into the effect of group practice of the Transcendental Meditation and TM City program on reductions in drug-related mortality, which as we'll see, is a very serious problem. You probably read about it in the newspapers. So this study was published in a, a prestigious medical journal, Medicina, looking at, as I said, reductions in drug-related mortality uh, related to group practice of the TMTM City program. And I had the honor of collaborating on this study with a very distinguished researcher, Dr. Michael Dilbeck of MIU, research professor at MIU. And so uh, this is work that we've done together. Okay, just to give a brief overview. Um, data from public health authorities in the United States indicate that the U.S. is experiencing, has been experiencing a sustained epidemic of drug-related mortality with such deaths exceeding a record 100,000 in 2021. And that's an 47% increase from 2019. And more than a million Americans have died of drug-related causes since 1999. And a particular uh, uh, event that's driving this mortality is that opioids, synthetic opioid phenytyl in particular, have been accounting for about three quarters of this mortality uh, in, 19, in 2021, it was about 75%. Now these rising trends of drug-related fatalities are associated with what the American Psychological Association and the World Health Organization have described as a, quote, an epidemic of stress, close quote, in society, national social stress uh, at various levels of society. And the purpose of this study was to evaluate um, the consciousness-based approach to help reduce trends in drug-related fatalities. And this would be, uh, these trends would be reduced by mitigating the epidemic of stress in society that helps fuel drug misuse and other negative public health trends. And uh, this looks at the effect of group practice at MIU in Fairfield, Iowa, USA. Here's the two golden domes in which groups practice these techniques together. As we know, Marshy has explained that 1% of the people in any community, when they practice TM, that balance, in, and I'm quoting, quoting Marshy here, balance in nature increases, accidents become less, and all the collective values, which we call social values of society, become more positive. He said, individuals become incapable of thinking wrong things. Their thinking changes in favor of society. Crime rate falls, sickness becomes less, and all negative aspects of life diminished, close quote. So in this particular study, the group at MIU began to form uh, in 2006, late 2006. And here we have a plot, a graph, uh, the blue line showing the size of the group as it changed over time on the x-axis. Here we have the years. So this started, these are the years from 2002 to 2016. And the group increased very rapidly in, in size starting in July, 2006. 
reached the square root of 1% of the U.S. population in January of 2007 and remained near or above that threshold until the end of 2011. And then the group declined in size due to uh, decrease in funding that was available. So looking quickly at what happened as a result of that group before, during, and after a demonstration period uh, when the group, during the demonstration period, the group was uh, at or near the square root of 1% of the U.S. population. And this plot, the red line, shows the drug-related fatality rate, monthly drug fatality rate, from 2002 to, uh, through 2016. And we see that it was rising, the drug, rate, drug fatality rate was rising rapidly during, uh, before the demonstration period, before the group reached the square root of 1%. And then it leveled off, that rising trend leveled off very dramatically. This is a decline in trend of about 35%, a very dramatic change in the behavior that was being shown during the baseline period. So instead of rising quickly, it just starts to move sideways. And then when the group at the end of 2011 no longer was large enough to affect the entire society, again, the drug-related fatality rate began to rise and particularly rise very dramatically as, as the group became very, very small. So this blue line here shows a forecast, a projection based on the baseline data only up through 2000, January 2007. And that projected into the future using precise statistical methods yields, yields this blue line. And we see that the actual observed rate drug-related fatalities was well below this forecasted rate until the group in the follow-up period no longer was large enough to, to uh, sustain the improvement in trends. So what did we find as a result of this study published in a peer-reviewed medical journal? Uh, we found that there was a very statistically significant change in trend. So we see that flattening of trend was highly statistically significant. There was actually a chance of uh, less than one in a billion observing a change like that in that rising trend flattening out. And also we see that when the group fell in size below square root of 1%, there was a very significant increase in the trend again. And that increase in trend also was highly statistically significant, meaning that uh, there's uh, the chance that the probability that this was just due to chance, this change in trend was very small. In fact, uh, less than one chance in 10 million. And then for this very rapid period of increase here, the second part of the, of the follow-up period, uh, beginning 2015, 2016, the chance of a trend this rapid compared to the demonstration period trend, the chance that the trend would be rising that rapidly was less than than one in 3.8 trillion. So that's very statistically significant. And as we said, the shift in trend from the baseline was about 35% change in, in the rate, very highly, a very large practical significance, we say. And further showing the importance of this, a total of over 86,000 uh, lives were saved. This is the estimated total of fatalities related to drugs that were averted due to this demonstration period decrease in the trend. So that's a very important uh, thing that we show not only statistical significance, but that it has some practical importance. 
The second study I wanted to discuss very quickly is looks at homicide rates and U.S. homicide rates associated with the same prospective social experiment where the predictions were well established and, and announced and then followed up over a 15-year period from the baseline through the end of the of social experiment. And um, this is a, a headline, an article in the New York Times in May 23rd, 2011. Headline says, steady decline in major crime baffles experts. So experts are very confused by the dramatic fall in crime that occurred between January 2007 and into 2010, uh, where the crime rate, they had, this article had crime rates only through 2010 available. And it said the number of violent crimes in the United States dropped significantly last year, that's 2010, to what appeared to be the lowest rate in nearly 40 years, a development that was considered puzzling because it ran counter to the prevailing expectation that crime would increase during a recession. So there was an economic recession, 2008-2009, uh, and the, the economy was still weak in 2010. So this was very puzzling to the experts, not puzzling to us. So we predicted this change. And here we see in red the fluctuations of the monthly uh, homicide rate, again, based on official government statistics. During the baseline period, the trend was rising gently. Then in January 2007, we hit uh, the group hit square root of 1%, and there was an abrupt decline in trend, and the homicide rate plunged dramatically during this demonstration period of five years, January 2007, December 2011, and then flattened out when the uh, demonstration period was over. So again, we see an increase in the trend as opposed to a decrease here, and then a sharp increase in the trend beginning in 2015-2016, which is associated with the decline in the group to the very smallest sizes that prevailed prior to the beginning of the demonstration. So what we found here is a high statistical significance, less than one chance in a billion of observing this downward shift in trend during the demonstration period, if there were really no effect of the group. And also there are significant increases in the trend following the demonstration period. Again, those are very, uh, the, the chance of observing those was very declined, was very small. And there were an estimated 27,369 homicide fatalities prevented during the study as a result of this decline in the rate. Now, here's an important thing that must be considered to publish these events, to publish these studies. Uh, it's very important to demonstrate that alternative explanations are not plausible. And we won't go into great details. These are available uh, in the paper itself, which is available freely. But economic changes, particularly the rise in unemployment uh, could not explain this decline in crime. It's very puzzling as we've seen to the New York Times. Changes in the incarceration rate, changes in policing strategies, demographic changes in society. For example, there was an increase in, in the proportion of youth aged 18 to 25 in the US at that time. And increases in that age group are associated with rises in crime rather than declines. And also, we were able to rule out temperature changes, any cyclical, seasonal uh, factors. And I wanted—I neglected to point out, when we go back to this plot, 
you might wonder, we see a trend here. The blue line shows the trends, but what's this up and down? Well, that's the crime rate varying uh, at different times of the year. So in the summer, crime rates are much higher. So this indicates, these peaks indicate uh, the summer and then in the winter you have lower crime rates. So this is fluctuation, seasonal fluctuations around the trend and the statistical analysis has to take that into account. And finally, and very quickly, I wanted to read this brief remark from Maharshi that he published uh, in 1975. He said, because consciousness is the basis of all that is there, here, there, and everywhere, it is the quantum level of life, the very basic level of life. If the attention reaches that level, what happens is like the small pebble falling on a silent bed of the water. A small pebble falls, creating impulses. Those impulses reach all the far places and all the water. Just like that, when the conscious mind of one single individual transcends, we can imagine the thrills being created on that silent level of consciousness, which is the omnipresent reality. This pulsating consciousness of the individual creates impulses of life all over. And because this is the very fundamental level of everyone, everyone's thinking, everyone's consciousness is influenced by that. It is very easy to understand. The whole society becomes more positive in its trends, more positive in its thinking. The awareness of the whole population is influenced tremendously. That is why the criminals change and why negativity changes. So this is the essence of why the 1% effect works and why the square root of 1% version of the Marshy effect have their effect. Change comes from within the individual by enlivenment of that level of pure consciousness within, which is at the basis of everyone's thinking and behavior and produces positive changes in the individual's behavior and their thoughts and actions, thus decreasing problems in society. And of course, this is a theme that's emphasized so beautifully by Dr. Nader, consciousness is all that there is in his, in his writings. So this is um, a very brief and quick overview of two very recent studies. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Cavano. So it's really very, very significantly studied in a scientific way, statistically studied, before, during, after, and then all the control factors that are possible being eliminated. And it has been repeated many, many times. And so we are really on a strong scientific basis and a strong even theoretical basis of understanding how it happens from the field of consciousness. So we are all invited to come to that major event, uh, bring your friends, inspire them to take the cities and come and join together. It is not happening on the level of just goodwill and good feeling and thinking on the surface level and making compromise, but on the true level of transcending and reaching the field of consciousness and enlivening it in society. And that's why we want the leaders of the future, and you are all the leaders of the present and the future, to be together and learn these technologies and think together and spread that knowledge so that, for example, what is needed to be done is done in society. And it's done because awareness has been developed and everyone is able to see from a broad perspective and not act on the basis of fear and strain. We are also having 
the threat of potential harm from artificial intelligence, which is a very powerful, a very necessary, very useful technologies, and we are sure it will develop. But if our human consciousness does not develop at the same time, we might start using it for uh, fighting the others, for conflict, for taking advantage of natural resources without thinking of the holistic value of life and living. And with thinking that I, if I can grab more and the other will lose, and then how can I fight them, etc. So we don't want this wonderful technology of artificial intelligence to become a problem. It has to be a solution. And for that, we again need higher intelligence on the level of society so that humans guide artificial intelligence towards all that is beneficial for all humanity and for all future to come and make it a tool for evolution rather than being part of maybe what can look like an arms race as you know the arms race has led to development of weapons of mass destruction and the one who had the biggest mass destruction is the one that's going to win the war and now the one who gets the best artificial intelligence maybe can defeat the others and that is not the way to go what we need is to raise consciousness so that life on earth is lived on the level of unity that we are all world family one world family and for that we need leaders that understand that and that can apply the necessary technology to make it happen that's why we have even been training consciousness advisors so that they are able to give everyone the best possible technologies of consciousness to raise individual and social consciousness but the organization is enlightened leadership international for the next generation that will uh, be introduced by Adrian Schoenfeld who had great passion for this organization since 12 years now she tells me 11 12 years and uh, we'd like to ask her to please introduce briefly uh, Eli to our group Thank you, Dr. Nader. Good afternoon. Good evening, everyone. I don't know about you, but I, I would guess that you're much like me in the fact that you did not participate in the 7000 course. I had just graduated from high school and hadn't yet started to meditate. So I missed out and really looking forward to this course. And I just want to briefly update you. We're almost at 6,000 people that have RSVP that they want to attend. So uh, pretty exciting uh, to be in a group like that. I can't even imagine. I know you feel the same way. So I'm sure that we'll all get to meet there. A little historic overview of ELI, and it's very fun to look through the attendees list right now and see a lot of names that were around in 2012 when we began ELI at MIU, MUM at that time. The whole idea was to connect, and my role for ELI is connector. There's nothing better than to bring people together to bring corporations and people together, to bring best practices to people. It's a very fulfilling structure. And when ELI started, as I said in 2012, it rapidly grew to about 1,100 people in 55 countries. 
it became something very interesting because while it started out as a very small group of individuals, it quickly actually grew internationally. And before long, it wasn't just one program, it was five and six programs. A little bit later, um, in about 2014, ELI hosted the Next Generation course with Dr. Nader. That was in Fairfield, Iowa. Very exciting. Really the first time that such a large group of Next Generation leaders were together meeting one another and having time with Dr. Nader. And from there, ELI continued to build courses and events and apprenticeship programs and really wanted to encourage and really did encourage individuals to use their creativity and their desire to change the world by implementing projects called vision projects. One of the projects actually was to bring um, enlightened leadership, leadership that is based in the development of one's consciousness, transcending and the technologies of consciousness and bringing it together with service leadership and practice practical leadership skills. And we had a pilot going at Maharshi School, which is the K through 12 program. The first 100 younger kids loved the principles in engaging and actually connecting with individuals from other schools who are also practicing transcendental meditation. The big event I have to say was in 2016 when ELI launched the ELI hosted teacher training course in Bali, Indonesia. It was one of the largest international teacher training courses in decades and it was received so incredibly well in the first weeks uh, that the course was announced, we had about 410 people apply, individuals that hadn't even started Transcendental Meditation yet. But the idea to create a better world from the level of one's consciousness and to transcend and have effective change and lasting change was just very thrilling. And to be able to teach that, it was uh, unimaginable. So basically, um, the Bali TTC happened, very large, very exciting. And from there, all these great teachers emerged and went off to take on leadership roles in David Lynch Foundation and Maharshi Foundation. And at the time there was Blissful Life Foundation and all these organizations absorbed these brilliant new teachers and they were teaching just a great deal of people and very excited. And it made sense at that point because most of the team was teaching that these projects that had come out of ELI and the creativity of those individuals that are associating like the TM Together and other outdoor groups that had next generation leaders meeting, um, that was like the next step from ELI. And so this TM together started and then unfortunately, or depending on how you look at it, it was a really amazing time for our world too, to consider um, how to make a better world during COVID. Um, there was no more together. And so it was clear that as TM together faded out and some of these other small groups began to you know, you stayed in home, you didn't like get together with people, it wasn't the thing, but everything became more digital. And this is when Dr. Nader launched the TM app and so much happened online. And Dr. Nader also was speaking online to six, 7,000 people um, in our own organization. And, and then globally, millions of people wanted to hear Dr. Nader and felt very comforted and really wanted to understand how we could be okay during this time of turmoil. 
But as I was mentioning just a second ago, it really was kind of a good thing too, because it made us really look at our world and how we can do better, how we can make lasting change. And being on social media, you began to realize there was a lot of discussion on consciousness and raising consciousness. And this was the first start of the discussion on what is called regenerative sustainability. It really caught my eye because individuals were talking about regenerative sustainability. The regenerative piece of that was getting to yourself, knowing yourself, beginning with your own behaviors internally, and then your leadership and then your or education or whatever your area of interest after that. And so it was a perfect next step um, as ELI began to reconfigure to understand where we were in this next generation in terms of our passion to look at regenerative leadership. So Enlightened Leadership International is a community for a progressive world that engages leaders in dialogue and activities really centered around the needed paradigm shift towards regeneration with consciousness at its core, because in order to have real um, change that lasts, it needs to be founded from that level of consciousness. So the one community that we're talking about today is ELI, which is regenerative leadership. But there's a whole network that focuses on many different areas that you may be familiar with. Recently, Dr. Nader launched the Consciousness Advisors Program. And we talk about various systems such as regenerative health. Another name for that is Ayurveda. We talk about regenerative education. Another name for that is consciousness-based education. So ELI is embracing those activists and individuals interested in making a better world, really wanting to understand how it can be lasting change they create and teaming it up with the understanding and the most important technology, which is that of consciousness and transcendental meditation. So I'm giving you a brief overview so you understand that there's a network that will focus on climate change and social change and education and health. But the theme of this, the basic and most important fundamental point is that it has to be based on consciousness, that everything is interconnected. There's no silos. We're all working together so that we can make a better world, both from the level of consciousness and also our very dynamic activity. And as Marishi had said, the movement is for those that move. So ELI really embraces this point that whatever we can do to support your vision to make a better world, both from the level of consciousness and your activity, will do. And so moving forward, you'll find out more of how we're going to bring many, many individuals with different interests and initiatives into this network and this structure. And through the ELI door, you'll have the opportunity to sit in on discussions with Dr. Nader and understand how consciousness and then practical leadership points from the experts in this field, like Dan Pink, and I hope that you've watched that video. It's an amazing conversation with Dr. Nader and Dan. Um, and move forward so that really we can embrace what Dr. Nader's goal is, which is to make life work for everyone. So if you're interested in participating and working on this course for 10,000 and really seeing your vision for a better world happening, you can contact the ELI team at director 
at elinternational.org. Somebody will get back to you. And thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Adrian. It's a wonderful organization for the next generation to put their intelligence and their consciousness to lead all facets of life from a very fundamental and profound level of reality, which is consciousness, which is the consciousness of everything and everyone. We have taken a little longer time, but it's a joy to take a few questions. And somebody had asked about the ELI website. It's in progress. It's almost done. You'll have an announcement. And somebody else asked about what uh, you can do to participate. We will be sending you an email. So you will have many options. I mean, whatever you do, we are just thrilled to put you to work. Dr. Nader, here's another question. The question was about individuals that want to get the cities. They are currently meditators and they are wondering if there's a fast track for them so that they can be Siddhas. And then also the question is, what about the general public? Will there be a way for them to participate as well? Everyone is invited basically, and we will create fast tracks for the meditators and even fast track for non-meditators if they come quickly because time six months is very short to become a siddha but in a special environment with a special purpose and a high goal we can really take somebody from the track of being a non-meditator following them up making sure they meditate regularly that they are stable and the teachers will be able to assess if they are ready to go into the siddhi program and fast tracking them towards actually the flying block. This is uh, very special, very unique. And therefore, uh, let's spread the word. Let us all come to this, plan to come to this great assembly, this great meeting, and bring all the ones we love, all the ones we care about, so that they can have this experience. And therefore, it's important that they transcend. It's important that they fly, because that is how the effect is created. Now, if there are meditators who are not flyers, we can see once we have organized for the 10,000, and this will be in the next few weeks, we will have definite, a clear understanding because the details are huge. Where do we fly? Where do we eat? We have to have separate uh, tents for different uh, groups. We have to have you know, accommodation. Where do you do your laundry and all of that? Because if we put it in, in like big hotels, it will be very expensive. And so we found a place that they have built in Qatar for the purpose of the World Cup, which is beautiful, absolutely beautiful, but it's not run like a hotel. And uh, I just had heard that those who, after the World Cup had finished, Qatar gave as a donation to other countries all the sheets, the, the towels, <laughs> and all the sun, hundreds of thousands of aspects to other countries that are in need or to different refugees or different places. And so now they have to get fresh, everything fresh. So, you know, they're, they're working with great detail about food, quality of food, what kind of food we like, where we do, you know, our rest, and it shouldn't be far from where we do our programs. Uh, the meetings, the air conditioning, uh, the broadcasting to all the tents, the different tents. It's a huge thing which is happening. 
And so another question which was asked before is, will the effect be more on the local level? And what we have found scientifically is that once you reach the critical number, then the effects goes to the critical number of the world, to the number of where the square root of 1% is. So once we reach the 10,000, the effect will definitely be spreading all over the world. And this is what we have seen in the taste of utopia. The first one where it was done in the middle of the United States, uh, in Iowa, in Fairfield, Marish International University. And its effects were studied in different places in the world where the scientists found a reduction in conflict, better relation between nations, softening of uh, relationships everywhere, and many, many other positive factors. Another good news is that we expect to have celebrities and the, and the arts and sciences and, and music and uh, movies, you know, great performers. So we are planning a big gathering for world peace and uh, the momentum is growing and we, we hope you will all be there, not only to participate, but also to organize. Thank you, Dr. Nader. The next question is from Natasha. And the question is, is, would there be a possibility of additional local groups contributing to those who are not willing to go to Qatar? We are not entertaining that because we really want the focus of being together over there. Otherwise, it will splinter and then we won't have the effect. So there is a lot at stake here. We are, you know, doing the analysis, we are doing the studies and the scientists are involved and the people are involved. And if we reach the 10,000, then we can, we can consider that people who are in different places, they can maybe join, but this is not something we are planning at all right now. And we are not promoting that kind of very nice idea, but we're not promoting it at all or even encouraging it. Another thing is that if you cannot go for any financial reason, you should apply anyway, because we look forward to reducing the costs to minimum. And we look forward to uh, maybe in some cases even supporting. So the finances are not an obstacle to join the course. However, as you imagine, this is a huge group. And for three weeks is a long time or even two weeks. And there is accommodation, there is transportation, there is food, there is broadcasting systems, there is, you know, building of a space, buying forms, buying even back seats, you know, seats that you can take. We are thinking to produce them and everyone who comes can leave with a memory, with a souvenir kind of seat on which is written that you are a champion of world peace or something like that. So it's, it's a world event planned to be there. That's very important. Thank you very much, Dr. Nader. Would you like to have another question or are we ready to close? Because I think we're just about there. <laughs> if there is one question, okay, let's take that. Um, yes, there's many more specific questions about how, how can I volunteer? How long is the program, which you've already asked, answered, Dr. Nader? And can I ask how many participants there are in this meeting? That's, I guess, not so relevant. But I think um, people are asking for more of the detailed information and when that will be available. 
Yes, we, we will make all these more and more available if you correspond with us and let us know your interest to help. Uh, we are also looking at childcare. So those who families who can come or have children and, and all of these. So there are all these details which will become clearer in the next few days, hopefully, or at least before the end of June, so that we are well set and clear about all the, the steps and the costs and the possibilities that are there. So stay in touch and connect with us and we'll keep you updated. And be happy, enjoy bliss, consciousness. The world needs more and more happiness. And so in happiness, we spread our care for, for others and our strengths and confidence in a future. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.